Section six of Other People's Lives. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Other People's Lives by Rosa Nouchette Carey. Book three. The Two Mothers. Chapter two. Naboth's Vineyard. Naboth's vineyard, or in other words, Felix Earl, had been from the earliest boyhood the pride of the village. He had been Mr. Ackroyd's favorite pupil, and the good-hearted man had devoted some of his precious evening hours two or three times a week to teach him Latin and the rudiments of Greek, but the clever, sharp-witted lad had soon outgrown his master. Mark my words, vicar, Mr. Ackroyd would say, rubbing his hands together while his face beamed, Sandylands will be proud of Felix Earl yet. That lad has plenty of real grit in him. And though the schoolmaster's geese were not all swans, and Felix was never likely to prove a village Hamden or a mute inglorious Milton, still it could not be denied that he had undoubted talents and a thirst for knowledge that was not easily slaked. When Miriam Earl responded to that clause in the litany from pride, vainglory, and hypocrisy, good lord deliver us her thoughts always recurred to her boy i hope i'm not too much set up about felix she would say to herself but when i think of him sometimes i am almost carried away with my pride in him and he is a good lad too and never gave me an hour's uneasiness since he was born not but what madam up at the big house could say the same of her son for out of respect for her foreign blood and dark picturesque beauty mrs compton was generally called madam in the village the women of the place respected the mistress of kingsdean but even miriam earl the cleverest and brightest of them found it difficult to get on with her madam has a way with her she is a bit too high and mighty for the likes of us she would say one could not love her as one loved miss patience ah she was a saint was Miss Patience, and the vicar, poor man, is just lost without her. But Madam has got her troubles, too. No one could look in her face and not see that. But there I must be careful of my words, or I shall have pen fly out at me. That girl fairly worships the ground that Madam treads on. The cottage where Miriam Earl lived with her step-niece and adopted daughter, Penelope Crump, stood a little above the post-office at Oudley End. Oudley End comprised two long straggling streets just beyond the Silverdale Tavern, each street opening out on a strip of open common. The road where Miriam's house stood was generally called the street, and going down street in Sandylands always meant an errand to the post office or the bakery. Miriam's cottage resembled all the others. There was the same red brick path leading up to the door, the same gay garden plot full of profusely blooming plants the same beehive chair and bench in the ample porch but instead of the row of red geraniums in the window there were three glass canisters one containing spiced gingerbread nuts with a delectable almond on each another filled with puffy doughnuts and a third dedicated to a particular apricot sandwich that was esteemed a special delicacy in sandylands there since her husband's death miriam had lived and carried on a thriving trade no such cakes as hers were to be tasted ten miles round sandylands 
when the mistress of kingsdean gave one of her garden or winter tea-parties the housekeeper always ordered a goodly supply of cakes from the bakery as miriam's cottage was termed and even miss catlin at the vicarage bespoke miriam's help at the school treats and choir suppers and other parish functions and nothing pleased the good ladies of sandylands more than when some smart london guest praised the chocolate or sultana cake and asked if they came from fuller or buzzard miriam earl took an innocent pride in her own handiwork she was quite aware that her fame had travelled to brentwood and dunartin did not the squire's lady at dunartin grange actually drive over herself to order all manner of good things when miss frances was married felix used to joke his mother sometimes and call her a vainglorious woman sandy lands can't get on without you mother he would say the bakery is as famous in its way as king's dean or the vicarage and she always answered him seriously i doubt they'll miss me pretty badly lad when i am gone she would say in her brisk way as she rolled out her rich paste it was quite a liberal education to see the little woman at her work her fresh round face looked as sweet and wholesome as a ripe russet apple and her trim neat figure in the black cotton gown and grey and black checked shawl pinned invariably across her chest and the widow's cap set so nattily on her glossy hair gave her an air of respectability one enjoyed the cakes all the better when one had watched the busy fingers and then to see the lavish hand with which she showered the good things miriam never parted with one of her recipes that was her one niggardliness the thumbscrew and the rack together would not have induced her to divulge her secret with regard to her almond gingerbread nuts and not all miss batesby's teasing and coaxing could draw it from her miss batesby could buy as many as she liked fresh and new from the oven every tuesday and friday and the doughnuts on wednesdays and saturdays the apricot jam sandwich never failed we have it always on hand as miriam assured her rather solemnly but miriam remonstrated the spinster mildly is it not for myself i want it i have told you that before of course it is right for you to have your own monopoly in sandylands and no one would grudge it to you for a moment but it's my poor sister in london she is a widow you know and has a large family and she is trying to make ends meet with that school of hers at highbury you are a widow yourself looking reproachfully at miriam's crisp cap border and you ought to feel for a woman the same affliction indeed miss batesby you were right there and miriam took a handful of rich amber peel in her plump palm and eyed it critically never spoil the ship for a hapworth of tea was her favourite axiom put in twice as much as the cookery book tells you and you will be about right yes miss batesby you were speaking gospel truth there and i felt sadly put about when i saw miss marple last summer she looked for all the world like a cucumber run to seed but having the recipe for my almond gingerbread cakes won't help her to fill her school so you will kindly excuse me from going from my rule but if you are making up a parcel for highbury about christmas time and would like a dozen or two of the almond nuts for the children why say so and you will be kindly welcome and actually miss batesby who had no pride and was heavily weighted with small means and a number of needy nephews and nieces closed with this generous offer miriam's work was always carried on in the inner room which served as kitchen and bakehouse it opened on a pleasant yard where penn's numerous family of hens and pigeons lived 
in the outer room a deal table scoured freshly every morning held her stock and trade the other part was used as a living room by the family there stood the old grandfather's clock that had been an heirloom in the family for generations on the little round table they ate their simple meals and their pens stitched and mended and kept a wary eye on the small boys who crowded round the window an old-fashioned bureau with a couple of shelves filled with books and a reading lamp with a green shade represented felix's study and here for the first seventeen or eighteen years of his life felix lived a hard-working uneventful life dreaming dreams and seeing visions all of which he would pour into pen's sympathetic ears pen was only a few months younger than felix she was a fair delicate-looking girl not pretty but with a certain capability for beauty in her face her eyes were full of expression and her smile was very sweet by nature she was reserved and somewhat silent and no one not even her adopted mother guessed the intensity of her affection for the handsome clever lad who had been her playfellow when he was a mere boy felix had announced that he and pen were meant to marry each other some day and as they grew up it was understood in sandylands that they were sweethearts perhaps on felix's side it was mere lad's love but at that time pen was certainly a necessity to him no one else so thoroughly understood and sympathized with him his most startling theories failed to alarm her she would sit for hours content to listen only to his rhapsodies and all his restlessness and discontent with his humble environment never drew a repining from her lips when he told her that he must go up to london and work though the separation was like death to her she acquiesced without a murmur and only strove to reconcile her aunt to the parting from her earliest years felix had completely dominated her and his will and opinions were hers doubtless this submission on pen's part was a subtle form of flattery to felix pen's gentleness and ready response soothed him and then she was more refined than the other girls in sandylands and even when he was walking the london hospitals and visited at the house of his fellow students pen did not at first suffer by comparison with his friend's sisters they were smarter and more cultured but a little of pen's modesty and simplicity would have improved them he thought and during his brief visit home he seemed just as eager to talk to her as ever felix was certainly born under a lucky star he always turned up trumps as mr cornish told him now it so happened that richard compton's most intimate friend was a famous london surgeon bob burnaby as he was always called by his intimates had been at charterhouse with richard compton and though on leaving school their paths and lives had widely diverged richard going to mincing lane and bob burnaby to cambridge they had never lost sight of each other and before mr burnaby married he often came down to king's dean to snatch a few whiffs of sweet country air when felix was about seventeen or eighteen mr burnaby had a serious accident that nearly cost him his life and for some months his medical advisers recommended entire rest and quiet when this reached richard compton's ears nothing would satisfy him until he got the invalid to king's dean you can be as quiet as you like he said ruefully for being the season he and his wife were at their flat but i shall often run down to see you and as mrs burnaby was a sensible woman she soon persuaded her husband that it would be folly to refuse his friend's offer 
king's dean is a thoroughly comfortable house she said quietly and mrs compton always has such good servants if we take hatton with us we shall not give much extra trouble and it will be so pleasant for you robert to sit out on that lovely terrace now you cannot walk and then mr burnaby allowed himself to be persuaded and for more than two months he and his wife enjoyed richard compton's hospitality it could not be denied that the society of the clever doctor was a treasure trove to mr wentworth and after a time he went daily to king's dean one sunday when mr burnaby was well enough to attend service he asked the name of a handsome dark-looking youth in the choir he has a wonderfully intelligent face he said i could not help noticing him oh that is our village genius returned the vicar smiling you should ask ackroyd about him he is his pet pupil his name is felix earl and that fair girl who joined him in the porch is his sweetheart all the lads have their lasses in sandylands he really is a clever fellow even cornish owns that i lend him books sometimes and ackroyd is teaching him latin i hear his great ambition is to be a doctor tell him to come up and have a talk with me and in this way the celebrated london surgeon and felix earl became friends mr burnaby soon took a real liking for the clever ambitious lad who told him straight out to his face that he would never rest until he became a medical student of course i know the difficulty sir he went on as they sat together on the terrace my mother is only a poor woman and my father was the village sexton but everyone has a right to do the work he is cut out for and i know if i could have my chance i should get on you will not think that i am boasting mr burnaby sir if i say i have learnt all that mr ackroyd can teach me the vicar will tell you the same i owe the master a debt i shall be grateful to him all my life for the latin and greek he has taught me but there are other things that i must learn heaps of things and here felix clenched his hands nervously poor lad the thought of his own ignorance fevered him as he tossed through many a wakeful hour on his truckle bed often pen was awake too listening to him how was she to sleep when she knew felix was restless mr burnaby said very little but he encouraged the lad to talk he even took the trouble to put him through his paces but whatever he felt he kept to himself but to the vicar he avowed more than once that felix earl had undoubted talents ackroyd is right and he will make his mark but he must have a fair chance and then he lapsed into so brown a study that his wife first scolded him and then coaxed him into taking a stroll with her you must not think robert she said severely your poor head is to rest you know that and then she talked to him in her cheery comfortable way about the flowers and the birds and the beauty of the june tints for if ever a hard-worked doctor had a good wife that woman was grace burnaby there were no children in the handsome house in harley street that was the one bitter drop in their cup the prosperous surgeon would never have a son to inherit his honours and to be proud of his father's name and though grace burnaby strove not to repine unduly her heart often ached because no little footsteps and no prattling tongues made music in the house and now and then she would hint to her husband that they might adopt a child but he always discouraged this idea you shall do as you like grace he said once after all it is more your affair than mine i am too much engrossed with my work to require any distraction but in my opinion we are happier as we are no child could be like our own 
and then very reluctantly she gave up the idea and contented herself with visiting her crush and spoiling all her young nieces and nephews mr burnaby was very silent and abstracted all the rest of that day but in the evening he had a long talk with his wife and the next morning he sent for felix earl look here earl he said in his curt way i've been thinking things over and i have made up my mind to give you a helping hand i'm going back to harley street in about a fortnight and if you like and your mother approves you shall go up with me and enter at king's college i know a decent place where you could get rooms close to the british museum an old butler of mine takes in some of the students and his wife is a nice motherly woman no please don't interrupt me as felix with a crimson face tried to interpose a word i want you to hear me out i am a busy man and have no children if my life is spared i shall probably be a rich one it will be no inconvenience to pay all necessary expenses until you can earn money for yourself it is a matter of pure business he went on in the same cool dry tone for his keen eyes saw that the poor lad's agitation threatened to overmaster him i do not give you the money i only lend it when you have done your hospital training and have taken some grand berth it will be time enough to talk of repayment until then and now his hand rested kindly on felix's shoulder you must let me do my best for you and it was in this noble way that mr burnaby became felix earl's benefactor mr burnaby always spoke very lightly of his beneficence he was living within his income neither he nor his wife had extravagant tastes if he chose to indulge in a little cheap philanthropy no one could blame him besides he would add i knew it would be a safe investment for my spare cash directly i spoke to the lad i was sure that if we both lived i should get every penny back and mr burnaby was right owe no man anything but to love one another had been miriam earl's favorite text and she had taught it to her boy but perhaps only pen knew the deep gratitude and veneration that filled felix's heart for the man who had put out a helping hand to him i'm housed like a prince he wrote in one of his first letters mrs mullins is such a kind woman and reminds me a little of you mother perhaps because she always wears a black and white checked shawl dear heart pen just to think of that ejaculated miriam and i bought my check at crampton stores twelve years ago never thinking it would be the fashion everything is so beautifully clean tell pen and old mullins is such a nice chap all the fellows like him and he is so quiet too if it were not for the smuts and the dingy look of the house and a curious want of sunshine i should never guess that i was in london of course i see very little of mr burnaby but now and then i am invited to tea on sunday and then he asks all about my work tell pen i wish he could go with me and hear the grand singing at the foundling one of our fellows took me to westminster abbey last sunday it was just glorious isn't he happy pen marion would say as she folded up the letter and when mrs compton came down from the big house to order a fresh supply of cakes marion would treat her to ample quotations from her boy's letter there are odd contradictions in human nature mrs compton might easily have sent down her orders by one of her maids but though she secretly envied marion earl and her visits to the bakery always depressed her she could not keep away a necessity seemed laid upon her to follow however grudgingly step by step felix earl's career 
she even gloated over every fresh success with a sort of morbid fascination every stiff examination that felix passed every change in his hospital career every fresh token of mr burnaby's interest in his promising protege were all retailed by miriam to madame when she came down street when felix became house surgeon at guy's the news was carried by the vicar himself to king's dean i saw burnaby in town yesterday he said and he told me the news he seems immensely proud of felix he says he is one of the cleverest fellows he has ever known he has worked splendidly he will be one of our first surgeons one of these days and actually said that his heart is in his work and he thinks of little else and these words spoken by the kindly vicar were gall and bitterness to mrs compton jack was enjoying his heart's desire just then and making his big tour round the world on the whole he was having a good time though it must be averred ben bolt was a trifle demoralized he rather stood upon his dignity as a british growler and was inclined to be snappish to the japanese and other foreign dogs his bark is more bumptious than it used to be wrote jack in one of his disjointed and straggling epistles poor jack letter-writing was not one of his accomplishments the other day he quarrelled with some mandarin's dog and insulted him grossly i had to give him a taste of the stick before he would leave off growling some of those little japs are handsome little fellows if it were not for fear of ben's sulking i would bring you home one as a pet mrs compton had not seen felix earl for years she had never come across him during his brief visits to sandylands but one evening they met in an unexpected way mrs compton had been spending some weeks in town and was returning to king's dean by some mischance when she reached dunartin the carriage had not arrived and she was left waiting for more than twenty minutes it was a wet evening and the few flies in attendance at the station were soon occupied by the other passengers the only other occupant of the waiting-room was a tall dark young man in a grey overcoat who was standing by the window looking out rather discontentedly at the driving rain when the station-master entered to tell mrs compton that her carriage had at last arrived he stopped on the way to speak to the young man the rain does not mean to hold off sir he said civilly there is a leaden look about this guy that i don't like you would be wet through before you were halfway to sandylands better let me send a message to the inn for another fly very well returned the other and then mrs compton interposed the stranger was well dressed and gentlemanly looking very likely he was some friend of mr wentworth's his appearance was decidedly prepossessing there could be no harm in showing him a little civility if this gentleman is going to sandy lance horton i shall be very pleased to give him a seat in my carriage she said plausibly and then as felix earl turned his full face to her with a sudden flash of recognition she almost gasped with surprise is it can it possibly be she began nervously yes i am felix earl mrs compton he returned a little embarrassed by her excessive astonishment i suppose you find it difficult to identify me it is six years or more since i went up to london i should not have known you she returned abruptly but mr earl i must not keep the horses waiting this wet evening will you come please and then felix took up his portmanteau and the next moment he was seated opposite to her the situation was a little strained and neither of them felt quite at ease 
felix who was proud and sensitive was in no mood for patronage however kindly expressed and to do her justice mrs compton would have been unwilling to patronize him now and then as they spoke on indifferent subjects she looked at him keenly and her heart felt like a lump of ice in her bosom why was she not the mother of such a son what had miriam done poor simple body that she was to earn such a blessing it was not felix earl's handsome face that attracted her it was the unmistakable look of power and intellect in his dark eyes and on his brow the very sound of his voice cultured as it was and with hardly a trace of his rustic breathing even to her critical ear seemed to rasp the edge of her sensibilities mr burnaby's protege was indeed a success mr ackroyd might well be proud of his old pupil are you paying a longer visit than usual she asked as they drove past the vicarage and felix leant forward to look at the old grey house the question roused him yes i have come for a whole week he returned smiling and his smile was a pleasant one i have been overworking and am a bit slack and mr burnaby insists on my having a few days rest i suppose he is right for i feel as though i should like to lie under the pines and do nothing but sleep it would be rather soaking at present though and then mrs compton gave a forced laugh she was debating with herself whether she should ask him to call but she decided that it would be wiser to let things be she could do that sort of thing in town but at sandylands where everybody knew that miriam made cakes for all the gentry round it would never answer and when the carriage stopped and felix jumped out with warm expressions of gratitude for her kindness she only shook hands with him and wished him good-bye with ladylike civility and then watched him with a heavy heart until he was out of sight madam brought you from dunartin in her own carriage dear heart who would have thought of such a thing and miriam beamed at her boy and then pen came out of the inner room with a large muslin apron pinned over her best dress with a little pink flush in her cheeks to bid him welcome we are glad to see you felix she said in a low voice as he kissed her auntie has been wearying for you for weeks but she looked down as she spoke and he could not see the light in her eyes aunt miriam shall i bring in the tea the cakes are just done to a turn my child do and i will come and help you the poor lad must be starving as well as tired sit you down felix boy in father's chair while i roast you a rasher of ham and boil a new laid egg or two and miriam bustled away to pour out her motherly heart in loving service while felix left to himself looked thoughtfully round the low cottage room why was it he wondered that each time he came home it seemed smaller and lower but the change was in himself not in the old home he knew that the grandfather's clock still ticked in its accustomed corner and there was the bureau with his books above it and the reading lamp and blotting case just as he had left them the old blackbird still sang in his wicker cage in the porch and sandy the old tabby cat lay on the wool rug before the hearth sometimes when he had been too weary and jaded with his hospital work to sleep he had thought longingly of his home and pined for the sweet resinous scent of the firs and the fresh breeze from sandy point and now though his mother's welcome was fresh in his ears there was a faint cloud on felix's brow alas his mother's world was no longer his he had chipped the eggshell of his boy's existence and entered into a region of wider horizons of work and thought and culture 
he had got his foot on the social ladder and was beginning to climb slowly but certainly while two fond women watched him from afar not that felix was disloyal or fickle to either of them he was far too manly and generous for that until the day of his death his mother would be sacred to him the simple homely woman who brought him into the world would never have to fear criticism or invidious comparison with his fine friends she is just my mother and i would not change her for the grandest lady of my acquaintance he once said long afterwards to penelope and pen believed him nevertheless as he looked round the humble cottage room there was an unmistakable cloud on felix earl's brow end of section six nabbeth's vineyard